three, two, one. From down in the dirty bird. Oh my goodness gracious. The only mustard buzzard podcast on the planet. This is Buzzardry. Here are your hosts, Ben Milam and Patrick McGee. Episode number 18, we are back with another episode of Buzzardry. It is Wednesday night, November 17th at the time of this recording. It is good to be with you, good to have you with us. My name is Ben Milam. I'm here with my partner, Patrick McGee. Patrick, how you doing? Doing great. Glad to be on. Pat, it is, uh, first of all, we've got a lot to talk about per usual, but uh, man, it is, it's a good feeling to have an interesting football game to talk about, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It was we've kind of missed that the past couple of weeks, but it was certainly a uh, close kind of one of those games that uh, you know where it was kind of exciting to uh, root for Southern Miss football again for uh, you know that second half or really I mean the whole game. And we've yeah. obviously once you get the second half, you get a little more nervous because like oh now this could actually happen. But uh, yeah, it was certainly a um, kind of one of those crazy games uh, that you've seen uh, from USM over the years that. Uh, Kind of make you go crazy, uh, crazy happy at times, and then crazy upset at times. But uh, it was yeah. certainly fun. Well, it's it's good to have something to be upset about uh, late in the fourth quarter. Yeah, you know, especially since this past month. And I mean, you you know, had you looked at the schedule and even the way we were talking about it last week, this was a game where you would not expect that at all. Um, and it was it was largely due. Uh, to just how incredibly creative that game plan was. You you will not see that type of game plan. Um, I mean, I, it just in, incredibly rare. Because I think it has to – I mean, the, the coaching staff just had so little to play with. And very, very few teams and programs go through years like this where you, you just – the cupboard is bare – and you, you just have so little to work with, specifically at the quarterback position. And it's, so you just you run out your best athletes and you let the clock hit, you know, two or one or zero a lot of the time. Yeah. Uh, and, and just, <laughs> uh, you know, keep the ball out of their hands. And, uh, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun to watch. this. I was looking at the box score earlier today. And it's, I mean, it's, it's honestly just hilarious to what, look at. What was the talent um, possession again? Hang on, I, I lost it. Let me let me pull it up. Time of possession: thirty-seven minutes, fourteen seconds for Southern Miss, twenty-two forty-six for UTSA. So it worked. Yeah, yeah, that was the whole thing, you know. I uh, just and you were saying that not a lot of programs would do that, or not a lot of programs kind of have these kind of issues of quarterback just because of all the injuries and how you know just kind of a string of bad luck that doesn't happen a whole lot, but. I think a lot of coaching staffs would just kind of wave the uh, kind of wave the towel or whatever, right. throw in the towel, and uh, you know just kind of try out the normal offense and be like, all right, we're gonna take our beating. Uh, I don't think that just kind of shows you Hall. He's doing anything he can to try yes. to get you know another win on this season, and uh, you got to credit him for that. And then you got to credit the team for going out there and executing it pretty well. I mean, obviously yeah. you did have a couple, you know, a lot of de- a lot of delay of games. Um, 18 penalties, was it? Yeah, false starts. And uh, I guess, you know, as frustrating as that is, I guess when you, you bring in all these different quarterbacks, um, that can yeah. cause those kind of things. And uh, 
So yeah, I mean, it was um, it was about as innovative as it gets. I mean, even you know, you go back and look at like the Dolphins uh, with Ronnie Brown. Even that mm-hmm. game, they threw it. You know, I was looking back at the box score, but they threw they threw it close to twenty times or something like that. This was a game uh, fewest passing attempts uh, in the twenty first century uh, from USM, just seven. Seven, yeah, four for seven. 52 total yards. Yes. And then, um, so we, we ran a play every 41 seconds. And there's, you know, obviously there's only 40 seconds in the play clock. So right. you have those delayed games and the clock's still running. So it was, I mean, the plan worked uh, pretty well in terms mm-hmm. of you keeping it out of UTSA's hand, not letting them score, and then trying to, you know, manufacture any kind of offense or drives uh, you can. And, uh, you know, it, we said, you know, just let's get it to a one-possession game in the fourth quarter. And uh, see what happens. It was a tie game headed to the fourth quarter. So, yeah, the plan, it worked. Obviously, it didn't win, but it did put you in a position to win where if you had just run out your typical, uh, you know, your standard base offense, yeah. it would not have been that kind of game. So Yeah, you would just you would just be so limited. And, I mean, you, you it's hard not to talk about the defense, too, coming up with some huge, huge stops. And, that is, and know, a pick six. And a pick six, yeah, and, and – um, Big stop uh, in the red zone. I think that was the second half. Was that the second half? Yeah, we're, they were had a fourth and fourth and uh, maybe not fourth and goal, but fourth and maybe one inside the ten or inside the five. It was fourth and one at the three yard. Fourth line. and one at the three. I'm yeah. Sure. Um, and that's you know that's another thing we've mentioned is this defense is good enough to keep you in some games against good competition too. I mean this. Uh, you know, that UTSA offense is, is pretty loaded at the quarterback position. And, you know, obviously, Sincere McCormick at running back is probably the best back in the league. Um, yeah, so, I mean, in the the defensive effort, um, I, I think you saw how much the defense benefits from actually controlling some clock on offense and having some sustained drives and, uh, you know, not, not a – not a lot of sustained drives. I think uh, I think we were one for twelve on third downs. Yeah, one for twelve. Third down efficiency did convert one fourth down. Um, but yeah, I mean thirty seven seconds off the clock when you have the ball, and, and so I think you know finally the defense gets some rest, and you have um, a little bit of confidence in your offense, at least that you're going to chew up some clock. And so um, you know defense comes out there and you know, are, are well rested and we saw them come up with some huge, huge plays. And really to me, obviously this is not a typical game. And Coach Hall, you know, talked about that. This is not what what we're gonna look like, what we want to look like. Um, but I, I think I think it shows you that you're not well, I want to be careful saying this. I think you are you, you are a ways off of being a good football team. But the potential is there with this coaching staff if they have the right pieces in place. I think this is I think this is an example you point to when you're talking to those detractors who, you know, are wondering if this this coaching staff has what it takes. And obviously it's it's one game, but I think it's a great, great example, like you, you said, of um, this coaching staff taking the approach of we we want to win ball games and we're gonna do what it takes to do that with, with whatever we have on the field. So I mean we're we're and we're gonna see that even more. It sounds like this this Saturday against Louisiana Tech, which is now you look at you know it's I I uh, am not a betting man, but I would not put money on this game. I wouldn't you know wouldn't put money on 
any Southern Miss football game, especially this year, especially with what we saw last weekend, anything can happen. But it sounds like we're going to see the same approach. Even more guys at quarterback. Uh, likely out of that Wildcat spot, kind of put your best athletes back out there. And um, be interested to see if we throw it any more than we do. We, again, only seven attempts. And, you know, you would think La Tech is going to sort of game plan for that and key in on the run, especially that Wildcat formation. So, yeah, I, I don't know. We will see. But um, I thought it was really encouraging to see the coaching staff make that turn when a lot of coaching staffs wouldn't. And, you know, we talked about the seniors on this team. Coach Coach Hall mentioned, you know, I think that was part of the approach is, okay, we've we've kind of we've kind of seen what we're going to see this season and, um, you know, got three games left and we want to get some wins for these guys that are leaving the program that have, that have put so much into it. And yeah, I, I, that, this, this game to me is a big bump in my confidence for this coaching staff. Yeah. I think when, when you go in you don't, you're not, you don't have a scholarship quarterback basically. And you go in and compete right. with the top 25 team, uh, using a really innovative game plan. I mean, I think that shows basic a baseline level of competence at the least. Right. Uh, in terms of scheming and that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I always kind of had faith, even though this has been a uh, really tough year, that Hall was going to get this thing going uh, eventually. And I think when you, you look at the game plan, you look at the approach, the way he's trying to win any way he can, I think that has to be really encouraging. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's it'll be interesting to see how – this approach, how they kind of tweak it a little bit going into these next two games with, I don't know if Gore is going to play or not. Yeah. I haven't heard any word on that. That was kind of the thing I was worried about uh, was just kind of like a pitch kind of baseball. Like you don't want to run them too many times, especially kind of a smaller running back like right, that. Right, right, right. Uh, you know, he can eventually get banged up like he did. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I guess, you know, Willis, he'll, I'm sure he'll get some sure. uh, direct snaps because he was the guy that came in um, after Gore went out. And then um, Richard. And, uh, you know, who who knows? Brownlee could come in there. I mean, sure, yeah. it, it could be any number I, of guys. I would actually expect Rashard to get some more touches than he did. Only three carries. Yeah, I was surprised by that. And Frank only Frank only carried it 20 times. It felt like a lot more than that. But I okay. guess you, you run as, as few plays as, as um, we did on Saturday. It, you know, that was a lot of the plays were Frank touching the ball. Um, but, yeah, you're right. It's I, And it sounds like you kind of – you'll kind of spread it out and – I think we'll see a, a, a lot more creativity, and it'll it'll just be um, kind of a chaotic, fun one to watch, especially against uh, Louisiana Tech. And we'll we'll kind of move on to the preview of that game. Um, usually, the type of game where you just kind of throw out everything and anything can happen. And you know, you go back to um, 2014, I think it was, and we were so bad, and they came into the Rock, and um, you know, at the top of the West, and we're heavily favored, and then we kind of. You know, dominated most of that game. 2016. Okay, 2016. Right. 2014 was the game Bob Mullins got hurt. But yeah, that's. I mean, just that's just one of the many examples of. You know, it's a rivalry game, and um, both teams struggling this year. La Tech has had some 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 good results, but have also had some you know ones that are not so great. So it's it's kind of hard to to gauge them at this point. I mean, they're three and seven, but I think a good three and seven almost. You could say. I mean. We could talk about some of those those close games they've had against three, you know, pretty high quality clubs. Yeah, I mean, so earlier in the year they did have those string of non conference games where they lost by one at state, 
they lost SMU in the Hail Mary, and then they lost, I think, by eight mm-hmm. at uh, NC State. So they've had a string of really tough losses uh, earlier in the year. But, uh, yeah, they've kind of – they did win last week against Charlotte. Yeah. Uh, but they had a couple tough games. Like UTSA blew them out pretty good uh, in Ruston. So it's going to be – but, you know, if you look at the computers, uh, they're 98 in FPI, 107 in S&P Plus, which is basically middle of the pack in CUSA. So even by the standings, they're not great. The, the computers – like them a little more than that, just because you know they've had some close losses. So, um, yeah, it's it's one of the, you know we've had so many good games with them over the years. I was just thinking that the other day. Uh, I mean, last year, even though we lost, that was a really really uh, good game where you know they scored on that last um, or with whatever it was one second left on the clock, yeah, or something like that to uh, beat us by one, mm-hmm. and then. You know, we had the comeback in 2017, and then you had, you know, like you were saying, the game in 2016, and then 2015. 2015 was fun. Um, you know, we won the West, and then 2011 you had the monsoon game, and so it's it's been a fun series over the years, and, and who knows, this could it's, be the uh, yeah. last matchup for a little while. So Could be one of the last. Yeah, you're right. Tech favored by 16.5 as it stands. It's actually down to 16. Uh, looking at it right now just on – my ESPN app. Okay. Um, matchup predictor has a 83.7% in favor of La Tech. But, again, you can just – you can I, you can throw that out. I mean, it, it really doesn't matter at this point. I mean, you're you were 30-plus point underdogs to UTSA. And so, I feel like that doesn't really matter. Um, Coach Hall, one of his comments post-practice earlier in the week, um, it's going to be like the Calvary – Running out there at quarterback, and uh, just really curious to see who who he throws out there, and um, yeah, what what other buzzardry we have <laughs> on our hands this Saturday. That's uh, Friday, Friday, excuse me, Friday night um, game in Ruston. Uh, so usually, usually I would be making the trip to Ruston if it wasn't a Friday night. I'd probably be there, but you're not going, are you? No, I'm going to be in uh, Philadelphia. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So a Philly uh, but- trip. Yeah, so hopefully I can find somewhere uh, in Philly that'll be showing the game. It's on CBS Sports, mm-hmm. so that's not like basic cable, but I feel like most like sports bars would have it. Yeah. So I gotta tell them to put it on La Tech and USM. The the um the Flyers and the uh, the Sixers aren't playing that night. So okay, good. So hopefully so you'll get TV. some 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 strange looks, but you you might. Yeah, they'll be like, team. why are you watching a one win CUSA team <laughs> against a three and seven CUSA team? It's like I gotta watch. I gotta watch yeah. this Wildcat. Oh, formation God, yeah that will be a ton of fun um it, I, I think yeah at, at this point we would um i would talk about predictions and stuff but i don't even think it's it's not even worth to worth it to predict no just at this point just like last week just get it within a pos- yeah. possession in the fourth quarter and see what happens just give yourself a chance and we had you had the chance late in the game against against utsa i mean you know, in some polls, top fifteen team, and um, you know, if you if you avoid turning the ball over, and we talked about before we were recording, you turn the ball over four of your last five possessions, you got a really good chance to win that game. So, uh, hope to uh, see a similar result, and uh, yeah, at that point, anything can happen. So, that uh, that's your La Tech preview. We will move on to some basketball. A couple of Disappointing results. We talked about, uh, I guess, last Wednesday that this was um, 
Speaking of the, the Louisiana Lafayette game on last Friday, that this was a barometer game where we were going to – you're going to learn something about this team, you know, your first real uh, high-level competition, Division One competition, and, uh, yeah, didn't go well, didn't shoot it well. And, uh, you know, the defensive effort I thought was um, – was good enough, but not with that kind of offensive output. Yeah, and it, it was it was sixty six to forty five, and it, it wasn't that um, lopsided. It was, I mean, no. not to you know sugarcoat it, but I mean the offense was you know really really anemic. Yeah. Uh, but you know you were in the game until about five minutes or so. Yeah. Uh, there was a pretty good crowd there. There was about a four or five hundred something. Like yes, that? I think I think that's what they announced it at. And um, so you had four or five minutes where the crowd really got into it, but it's just. You know, can't shoot the ball. We kind of talked about that in the season preview where we were really going to have to defend at a high level to win games. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, even if you defend at a high level, which I thought we defended pretty well in that game, I mean, when the offense is that bad, um, you know, you're not going to really beat anybody unless you're just defending at the highest, you know, elite, elite, elite level. Right, right. Um, so that's kind of, that was kind of the story on um, on Friday night against Lafayette. Yeah, and, and, you know, similar story against TCU, just – you just can't make shots. And, um, you know, I, the shots were there a lot of the time, but you – when you get open looks, um, just guys couldn't make them. Twelve and a half percent from from beyond the arc in those two games. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty concerning. It's also – I was also thinking about this after those two results. I mean, it's – you know, Ladner has talked about this this shift he's made to, you know, kind of a more wide-open offense and everybody's going to get a chance to shoot it. More of a run-and-gun type approach where, you know, his previous two years, and really you can go back to, you know, how his team's played at Southeastern Louisiana, a lot more conservative, a lot of sets, and a lot more um, just very deliberate on offense. And um, the change was was made kind of in the on the opposite end of the spectrum – and to me, that adjustment was – it pointed to feeling like you could shoot it a little bit better. And because you kind of you kind of have to if you're, if you're that kind of, you know, throw it up, uh, however you want to define it, offense, where you're going to take a bunch of shots, you're going to run all 94 feet. A lot of the time we saw that against William Carey, you know, in this first t- 10 minutes, you're just going to get out and run and shoot and shoot and shoot. But I don't know. I mean – Yes, small sample size in those two games, but feels like maybe that's not the right approach. Or you know, I, and I, I'm not questioning Coach Ladner, and I, I certainly don't speak as an expert. Um, but I don't know. I mean, maybe Coach Ladner expects it to be better, and obviously he can't make the shots, and uh, it just hasn't panned out at this point. I don't know. Through yeah. two through two Division One games. Again. Yeah, the the tempo early is, in the year. Right, the, the tempo is up. It's just you know, like we were some, we talked about earlier in the year. The only guys that had come into the year that had had a history of shooting at like a Division One yeah, yeah. uh, average level from beyond the arc were uh, Hardy and Pierre, mm-hmm. and those guys have. I mean, I guess Hardy he might have had an okay game um, against or I think. Or he might have. Or that might be thinking this one. I think they both might have gone one of five and pull up the uh, the box score. But yeah, I mean, I just I don't think you have the shooters to you know really run that kind of offense. So I mean, it may be where you kind of play like Eustachie did in the first his right. first couple of years, where you try to muck it up and 
try to win that way because I, I don't think we're going to score a whole lot this year just based on the personnel we have. So you're going to have to try to win games in the 50s, win games in the 60s. Um, but, I mean, even defensively against TCU, you know, we got out rebound about 20-plus. Uh, so even defensively, we weren't really good at any um, on either side of the uh, – Offensively, we weren't good offensively or defensively. Right, at least against right. Lafayette on Friday, you could point to that defense being pretty solid. Um, but yeah, it's a uh, it's a pretty concerning start because if you're not defending, if I mean, I think you're not going to shoot at twelve and a half from three all year. No, but uh, I don't think you're going to shoot. You know, I don't think you're going to lead the conference in three point shooting either. You're not going to shoot forty plus percent, right? But if if this team doesn't defend, because that was the whole thing we were looking at the front court with Stevenson and Moore. So if we're not defending at at least a, an above average level, it's, it's going to look like you know probably another twelfth or thirteenth or fourteenth uh, place finish. So um, yeah, we're going to have to make make some more shots. Maybe not you know not saying um, like the Warriors or anything, but make a few more shots, defend better, and um, you know maybe that'll get you to the middle of the pack. We'll see. Yeah, and I and I still hold to what we talked about preseason. Uh, or maybe it was after after the William Carey win, um, or maybe both. I don't know. That I, I feel like this team again. It's a it, it is an increase in talent. We're, yeah, I mean, we're definitely bottom, more athletic. Definitely more athletic, and I still feel like the potential is there to be top half of the conference. But yeah, like you said, I mean the shooting has to be better. I don't know if you. Um, you know, you just see that you don't have the shooters. And so you kind of rein the approach back a little bit and say we're not going to run quite as much. We're going to run a few more sets so we can get some some better looks underneath the basket. I think um, I saw a statistic. Um, I need to verify this, or I should verify this before I say it, but I'm going to say it anyways, that, I don't know, we were near the top of the country in mid-range jumpers taken or something like that. Yes, uh, yes. The past two seasons, we were um, in twenty twenty, we were number one. In twenty twenty one, we were number two. And then against Lafayette, we were above forty percent of that, which is well, well above average. Yeah, and which is uh, you know we talked about that's kind of the worst shot you can take. Yes, yes. And so um, I don't know if you sh- yeah you you shift the approach and say okay more we're gonna do a lot more um, you know sets to get looks underneath the basket or just more open threes and less one-on-one type stuff that's going to, you know, get you those mid-range jumpers, which we've, again, you just said we took a lot of, and that's 40-plus percent at mid-range in modern basketball is a little bit too much, um, I would say, and usually points to a lack of offensive efficiency um, most of the time, uh, you know, depending on a lot of different factors, but be interesting to see if, if Coach Ladder makes any kind of shift in approach based on these two results. And, you know, as you kind of just see um, as these games unfold, what you have as far as offensive output. And, yeah, it kind of appears, hopefully, you know, you, um, again, don't shoot 12.5% from beyond the arc in these next couple of games. Um, but, yeah, it, it feels like just based on those two results against Lafayette and TCU that you might not have um, what it takes to be uh, productive enough for that kind of approach. So, Yeah, uh, and then – or what were you going to say? 
Well, I was just going to say Lamar, is that Sunday? Sunday, yeah. yeah. So. Sunday afternoon, and they're toward the bottom half of the uh, the WAC. They're 280 mm-hmm. in Ken Palm, and then you go to Missoula, Montana, uh, and play UNC, Wilmington, yeah. uh, UC, San Diego, and Montana. So those are those are all four pretty winnable games. Yeah. So you better at least at least split those four. Oh, I can. mean, you probably want a winning record. I would say you you got to get three out of four. Yeah. Yeah, just moving moving into this part of the season, and that the, you know you're still in the meat of the non-conference. I think you gotta win three or four there. You have to beat Lamar. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if if you want to be, if if this season is going to be a step forward, I think you have in in this kind of stretch, you have to you have to come out with a winning record, um, or else it's you know we've seen it. I think, you know, I don't know if you can – or, well, I'll just – you know, the first two years you just – you know, you, you win a few here and there, but then you, you go on these stretches where you have a, a string of really disappointing results and it kind of just snowballs. And basketball is a game of, of momentum in a lot of ways, especially through, you know, the length of a college schedule. I, th- I think you have to get three out of four here. Um, and, you know, obviously you're playing a long way from home. Um, in the Zootown Classic, which I love. I like that, too. I love that name. That's one of those – set up before on Twitter, Missoula is one of those places that um, I've always wanted to get to. It's great college town. They yeah. almost got college game day there. Uh, yes. This, but they have great crowds uh, for football. I don't know about basketball. But, um, but yeah, so Lamar – you got to beat Lamar at home. And then you, if you go two and one – in Missoula, let's say you beat UC San Diego, you beat Wilmington, and you can lose to Montana because that'll be a road game, I guess, basically because it's at their campus. Right. So, um, you know, if you do that, you're three and one. That gets you to, uh, I guess, three and three and three against Division One teams, and then yeah, that game against Cary, you go to four and three. So, um, yeah, I think yeah, I guess I said, I said split, but I mean you're probably right. You got to win three out of four to really create some positive momentum. Heading into the back half of a non-conference, so yeah, just the I mean the few things that we we mentioned kind of harped on there that they got to get better. I, I mean I think specifically the guys that that have shown that they can shoot the ball at times, not not consistent consistently enough, but I mean you, you can go back to that carry game and Hardy shot the ball really well in the exhibition against Delta State. Pinkney shot it really well. Uh, we saw Rashad Bolden shoot it pretty well against Carey. Those guys are going to have to step up and start making open shots. I mean, that, that sounds – I think that sounds like an oversimplification, and I don't know, maybe I, maybe we sound like idiots, like, oh, we just have to shoot the basketball better and <laughs> score more points. But, um, you know, that's, that's easier said than done. But those – with this kind of offensive – Approach you have to have guys hit open shots, and we've you know seen a couple of guys on that roster capable of doing that. Um, but to have the kind of season that you feel good about and that you feel like you can build on in twenty twenty two and beyond, um, yeah, that that has to be better. And specifically, those guys, um, yeah, they they have to be better offensively. So, anything else on basketball? I think that's about it. Yeah. All right, let's roll into the fall World Series. Pete Taylor took place four games. I didn't get to see any of them. You were at game one. Right? I was at game one. So uh, yeah, it was actually it was a, it was a sweep. The um, black swept four to zero. Um, move that. Sorry, move the laptop a little bit just so I can. Uh, okay, no, okay, there we go. That's good. Uh, yeah, so black swept four nothing. It was sixteen to four combined. I think is what I got. 
uh, out of the four games. Uh, but game one, Waldrop uh, was pretty good. He was four innings pitched. Uh, he gave up two runs. Uh, he had three, gave up three hits, uh, three walks, but he did have five strikeouts. And then Etheridge ran into some trouble a little um, in one inning, but he did well otherwise. He gave up a big home run to um, the Wilkes. Wilkes really put a charge into one over that, uh, that mugshot sign in right field. Um, and then uh, Rodrigo Montenegro, who was actually the MVP. Great weekend. Yeah, he was. Uh, he had a two RBI single to uh, give the Black the lead in that game. Um, but yeah, he was he was World Series MVP. Went five eight uh, in the um, in the four games. Drew two walks. So I don't know what he's like defensively, but I mean at least offensively he's done really well um, in the fall. So him and Johnson are kind of going to be that platoon there uh, <coughs> behind the plate. You would guess. Yeah. And then uh, Chandler Best was used um, as a closer in the seventh, almost kind of like a Ryan Ock in that kind of role where hmm. Ock was a lefty, Best was a lefty, um, or Best is a lefty. Um, so, I mean, Best kind of similar in that, you know, the low 90s lefty guy. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if they use him uh, in more of a back-in-the-bullpen role as yeah. opposed to a middle reliever or a starter. So uh, kind of – see how that develops yeah it could be it could be also a consequence of of a couple of those pieces you bring in like riggins and rogers obviously the left-hander um when maybe you you don't have quite as much depth best what you would probably like best to be a starter and maybe that's still the plan i don't know but we've only really seen him uh we saw i guess we saw him in some bullpen spots last year but he's been up to 95 uh, in the fall, and so you th- you'd think maybe you know if he's only going out there and throwing 20 pitches, maybe he can really let it loose and um, you know have have more of back end bullpen type stuff. And uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how they use him. But um, yeah, finished finished that game and looked pretty good. Sounded like yeah. And then um, so games two, three, and four, I did not go to those, but Andrew Abity of Hub City Spokes had some really good. Uh, notes on those you guys can uh, go check that out but um so game two uh tyler stewart uh he threw four innings gave up only two run or gave up no runs uh gave up two hits uh walk and then had nine strikeouts there in four innings so stewart's a guy you know we kind of talked in our fall ball preview that he would be a more of a or we thought he could be a closer just because yeah. he kind of fits the profile of a high velocity you know big tall guy you know he's whatever he's six eight six nine uh, but he, you know, in the fall, he's looked good as a starter. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see how he could potentially factor into that rotation uh, in the spring. And then Riggins, uh, he went in that game, game two, five innings pitched, uh, gave up two runs. One of those was earned, then uh, only allowed three hits, uh, one walk, and had six Ks. I think he was uh, on the USM Baseball Twitter. I believe he was up to 93, I think they said because uh, they tweet the highest velocity. So that he was a guy that we talked about just based on his numbers at Delta State. We didn't think he had a ton of swing and miss stuff. Yeah. But uh, it looks like he has, you know, pretty good velocity, kind of low 90s, because I think Aaron Fitt had him at, you know, high 80s, low 90s when he was here, but uh, up to 93, uh, I think, uh, in this um, in this World Series. Um, and then Nico Mazza, who we talked about, was a big high school um, recruit at MRA. He came in through – um, one inning or one and a two thirds scoreless had two strikeouts. Justin Storm came in and struck out four. Uh, then game three, Drew Boyd pitched really well, had five scoreless innings, dink, um, five Ks, and then um, only gave up two hits. 
Also swung the bat in game four, hit a double. Yeah. Uh, you think most people, or at least people from around Hattiesburg, know that he was a really good uh, hitter in high school. Yeah. Um, so who knows? He could be a guy that could DH for you. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if they use him as a two-way player, if they're just kind of playing around with uh, what he can do in the fall. But that would be a, um, a very interesting uh, development if that does happen. Um, and then game four, uh, we hunt pitch well. Uh, went four innings, uh, gave up four hits, uh, one walk, but didn't give up any runs, struck out two, and then Gillentine uh, went three and a third. Innings pitched, didn't give up any runs, had four hits, uh, gave up four hits, and had one walk. And then, um, so yeah, it was, um, I, you know, it was kind of said that uh, offense or pitching is ahead of uh, the offense at this point. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, yeah, that, I mean, that looks to be the case, but I feel like that's kind of typically the way things are in oh, the fall yeah. oh, and yeah. even early into the spring. Yep. Uh, so I wouldn't be concerned too much about uh, hitting. I think, um, yeah, I think we've seen hitting usually comes around uh, eventually. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 100%. A lot, I mean, a lot of what the fall is 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 getting your young guys, you know, used to the speed and really getting everyone back up to speed of, of Division One pitching. And a lot of it is, uh, you know, f- uh, looking at the shifting pieces you have on the pitching staff and the seeing really fit, especially in a year like this when you lose your Friday and Saturday guy that, that gave you so many innings uh, over the last two years or, you know, six years in Walker Powell's case. Um yeah, Tyler Stewart. That's that's really interesting. I I really wish, really wish I could have been there and seen that because a big reason we talked about him being more of a back end guy is he's. I mean, he was almost exclusively fastball last year, and we saw him throw the breaking ball a little bit. But you know, at at most a two pitch guy. Yeah. And so to, yeah, for him to go four innings pitched, no earned runs, two hits, um, just a walk, and you know, controlled it well. I would, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'd love to hear Coach Ostrander explain that and see, you know, are they actually toying with him being a starter? Um, because you really feel like you have enough depth or at least pieces starter wise, at least potentially, that you wouldn't have to, you know, really change that many uh, roles and, you know, move a back end guy into a starting role. But, you know, unless he's just that good. Right, right. <laughs> Uh, is going to produce in that role. So, um, yeah, really interesting to me um, how they handle that. A lot of this, a, a lot of what you see in the fall is not indicative of the spring because, you you know, a lot of it's just feeling out your roster and seeing what you have. Um, but, yeah, overall good weekend. Encouraging to see Slade Wilkes uh, swinging it better than he was early fall. Um, I think it was one of the tweets um, from the from the baseball account – I think at the top. Oh yeah, the top six for the top for the top five velocity exit velocity. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Slade Wilkes, Slade Wilkes, Slade Wilkes, Slade Wilkes, um, and then somebody else. I forget who else it was. Yeah, uh, let me. I can probably pull that yeah, up. I don't know. Uh, it yeah. But that's a that's a big deal to have him because again, the other question that is is kind of open ended for this team uh, is the outfield. I mean, infield's pretty locked down. Catcher, you're not too worried about that. How do you replace Reed Trimble, and you know, does Reese Ewing still hold that right field spot? I think that's that's uh, that. I think both or two out, two of your outfield positions are pretty wide open at this point because again, there's 
there's still the question of do you move Gabe to center field or left field? Obviously, Gabe's going to be out there. So there's two outfield positions that are open. Um, so to have Slade Wilkes swinging the bat the way he is, I think that's really encouraging. I'm not sure if he played in the field because he has been dealing with a hamstring issue. Right, right. But, um, or no, go ahead. Well, I, I was just – yeah, just to have him swinging it well I think is really encouraging because that's part of why you couldn't really play him out there last year is because he had not caught up to the speed of um, of Division One level pitching – and was just consistent, inconsistent at the plate, and didn't you know didn't get a whole lot of at bats overall. But um, I think that's a big plus at the end of the fall. Yeah, and I think you'll probably see Montenegro in center, and then since Ewing played right, I guess you'd probably keep him in right, and then you move Wilkes to left. I remember reading something that uh, some kind of draft profile of Wilkes a while back that seemed to think he would profile in left field at the um, pro level. So I mean that could be to start the year you have Wilkes on left, Montenegro in center. And then um, Ewing and Wright, and yeah. then just kind of see how that plays out and make any changes if needed. But um, yeah, I think yeah. I think Gabe has been in center most of the fall. Yes, I've not seen him in left field. Right. So, so that, that yeah, he moves best out of those three. Um, so yeah, you sure. you want the uh, you know I guess the quickest guy out in your outfield uh, there in center. So yeah, what I will say one guy that that has been pretty impressive to me in the outfield, Carson Pato. Um, Got a red shirt last year. I yes. that's correct. Um, but, yeah, just, just kind of a, a toolsy guy, great athlete, and um, really good range in center field and has started to swing it better um, when I was there. It was about a week and a half ago uh, for one of those scrimmages. He had, he had a great day at the plate. And so um, that that can certainly play into it. If he, if he kind of – if he develops his bat enough and swings it well early in the spring – then you can move Gay back to left field, put Peto in center, and Ewing slash Wilkes slash whoever, however that plays out. Um, I think that's the most realistic scenario of Wilkes and left, Montenegro center, Ewing and right to begin the year, at least from what we've seen in the fall. So a lot to shake out, obviously, um, as they head into uh, the holiday break and come back early. February or late January to start um, start getting ready for the season. Not too far away. Three months. Yeah, I was thinking yeah. about that today. Three yeah. months away. So it's kind of crazy. It is. Yeah. Should be uh, should be a lot of fun. That's not the last time we'll talk about baseball before then. I can guarantee that. Um, okay. Let's uh, let's move on to a little realignment. Had a, a few little tidbits this week. Yeah, I didn't. So I was when I was doing these notes. I was like, all right, because I was. Starting out on these on Tuesday, I was thinking there's no realignment talk. Yeah. Not going to have to talk about it. Everything's <laughs> over. And then out of nowhere, nobody had even leaked this as like a possibility. Yeah. Atlantic 10 added Loyola Chicago. Um, obviously, that's a basketball program that's had a ton of success. Went to the Final Four in 2018, mm-hmm. went to the Sweet 16 uh, this last year. So uh, you would think, well, how does that affect us? Well, that creates spots in the Missouri Valley. And uh, Missouri Valley is apparently in deep discussions, according to Matt Norlander of CBS Sports, with UT Arlington, who is in the um, the Sun Belt right mm-hmm. now, along with uh, Murray State and uh, Missouri Kansas City. And that, uh, if, so if UT Arlington can get in the Missouri Valley, and then Little Rock can find somewhere, and the Little Rock they can look at maybe the Ohio Valley, maybe get into the Summit, maybe get into um, the Southland. I mean, who knows? That could be a, a worst case scenario for them. Yeah. Uh, but that could determine the timeline of uh, when USM uh, and the other schools can get in the, uh, the Sun Belt. 
just finding a home for those two uh, non-football schools. So that was kind of the uh, the big uh, domino that fell this week in realignment. And the I actually didn't see this. Uh, Shane Metlin, James Madison writer. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The James Madison beat writer uh, in Virginia said something that he had heard that uh, the Sun Belt um, wants the incoming schools to be able to play a full schedule for 2022. Yeah. So, it, you know, you're hearing more and more that uh, it's going to be an early exit uh, very possibly for the four incoming schools. So that was that was good to see. Yeah, that's been that's been sort of the building momentum is, is towards that direction of all four of these schools wanting to play. A full Sunbelt schedule in 2022 and join early. Again, that's partially dependent on UT Arlington and Little Rock, um, but they, yeah, sounds like they're actively looking for another spot. Um, so I think that should be encouraging to Southern Miss fans. Um, what else, Pat? Oh, so there was a very interesting article in the Bowling Green Daily News with the uh, – Western Kentucky uh, athletic director, Todd Stewart, the author was Jared McDonald. And I would encourage people to go read that. I guess you can just probably Google like WKU realignment or something like that. But it was basically like a timeline of everything that happened with realignment. And it was, um, so you kind of got an inside look. So the WKUAD basically just kind of a quick notes on what he said. He thought, they thought the AAC was going to add two, maybe four teams from CUSA, not six. So that was, I mean, I think that was a surprise to us, but it was, you know, also a surprise to the athletic directors as well, where they took yeah. six CUSA schools. And so apparently they had, like, the ADs meeting in Dallas, and, like, the very next day after those, the AAC schools left. So I think that left uh, a lot of people with distrust. Yeah. Um, and, but then, so there was apparently a one- or two-day period where they thought they were going to keep the eight remaining members, and then James Madison and Liberty would form, or add, would be added to form a 10-team league, and then... Mm-hmm. We left, and then that made James Madison and Liberty a little nervous, even though Liberty eventually joined. Um, that Us leaving uh, kind of set the stage for Old Dominion and Marshall. And then, But apparently Marshall wanted CUSA to work, but it, it just become a different league, according to the WKUAD, than from when they had joined. Um, it, was, it was very uh, open, the WKU um, guy. He was saying basically, like, yeah, we'd still take a Mac invite if they came to us. So, yeah. Hmm. Um, yeah, he was not. Uh, he wasn't hiding anything. So it was kind of good to see that uh, honesty. But yeah, really interesting article um, from that Bowling Green Daily News, uh, Jared McDonald. So yeah, I've not read that. I'll have to read that. I, that but that just just shows you. I mean, even even if that's just you know fifty percent accurate, I don't know. Uh, which I don't know. We ha- we don't have any reason to believe that it's not. I mean, it just goes to show you all of this is such a crapshoot. I mean, <laughs> you're responding to. What teams are – you know, you could even look at the um, Atlantic 10 adding Loyola Chicago and the downstream effects of that and just how all of that affects everything. And it's – you're constantly shifting, and I, I think that's why – I think you have to you have to commend, and he has been commended, Jeremy McLean, on the job that he did to get Southern Miss in the Sun Belt. Um, because I think staying with that eight, um, you know, plus the two of James Madison Liberty, if that – you know, if that was – a plausible scenario. Um, I, st- I still think you're just so much better off in the Sun Belt, which you know I think we've made that obvious. Um, but so many different ways that this could have gone, and so many different ways that certain schools wanted it to go. And obviously, you know, it's a big part of it was a reaction to those six leaving for the AAC. 
Uh, but man, I, I you you still have just got to be over the moon, I think, um, for how this shook out for Southern Miss because it could have been a lot worse. Oh yeah, yeah, it, it was. Uh, yeah, you kind of feel for. Uh, I guess we all kind of hate WKU because of that 2015 championship game, but. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm sure they got some good fans, and you hate it for Middle Tennessee and even La Tech a little bit. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I would. I'm glad we're not in the you know that ten team league that went up. Apparently, what happened or they thought it was going to happen for one or two days. So. Yeah. Yeah, it all worked out. One of those rare instances uh, where Southern Miss catches a good break. Maybe but, the uh, only instance. Yeah. 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 Um, well, I mean, we did get into the Metro in the '80s. Well, yeah. yeah but uh, yeah, recently again. <laughs> right. Feels feels like the only time sometimes. Um, it also, yeah, I, I don't. I mean, I don't know how much of that is the Conference USA administration just not having a feel and and you know not being or being purposely shut out or being clueless. Whatever, um, you know, circled the best answer could very well have been um, just not being uh, proactive enough or. I don't know, whatever you want to call it. Uh, not surprised to hear that Conference USA leadership had no idea um, that something was going to happen and happened and hurt Conference USA. Um, I've seen that happen before. So, uh, yeah, also interesting that Marshall wanted Conference USA to work because we saw them kind of go back and forth a couple of times where it felt like of, you know, them wanting to stay in Conference USA but wanting to be with Southern Miss and being – to be in the Sun Belt, and obviously, eventually, they did make that move. Um, but it would have been interesting to see how Conference USA had shaken out if Marshall did stay. Um, yeah, th- does James Madison go to Conference USA at that point? If Marshall stays, I don't. I mean, well, I think Marshall. I think I mean, who knows what happened behind the scenes? But I think yeah, Marshall. They've always wanted a Eastern-based alignment. Yes, and they do have a very Eastern-based division. Uh, I'm sure that, you know, I think they probably won at Old Dominion and James Madison. Mm-hmm. So it's basically a situation of football. They're only going to have to leave the Eastern Times on once a year because mm-hmm. of the crossover games. Um, so I think, you know, Marshall kind of got what they wanted. They got that Eastern uh, time zone division. Yeah. Uh, so I think I would guess they're pretty happy with how things shook out. So that was kind of what they were negotiating for, I'm guessing. Yep, and I think it worked out better for them. And because it worked out better for them, it works out better for Southern Miss because – they stay conference mates, uh, and that is another great segue into our only structured segment yeah. uh, right now. Better know a conference mate. Who are we getting to know this week, Pat? Well, we are next on the alphabet, so that means we are going to Arkansas State. And um, yeah, so Arkansas State was established in 1909 as a regional agricultural college. Uh, became a two-year or regional agricultural training. It wasn't even a college uh, when it first started, but. Huh. Uh, two-year college, so basically a community college in 1918, and then it was granted four-year status in uh, 1930. It became Arkansas State College in 1933, and then was granted uh, university status in 1967, which is about the time that USM got university status there in the 60s. Um, it's just under uh, 14,000 students, so it's a pretty small school. Only about or two-thirds, two, two-thirds of those are undergrads. Uh, it is in... Jonesboro, Arkansas, uh, in the Arkansas Delta, north, which is uh, northeast Arkansas. Uh, it's a city of about 78,000, metro area of about 120 or 124, 125,000. Uh, so it's, it's kind of like Hattiesburg in the sense that it is a college community, but it's also the hub for that northeast Arkansas area. Uh, yeah, so we're like saying like Hattiesburg is where you have the uh, university, but it's also kind of the economic hub for the, uh, the Pine Belt area. 
Um, it is a six-hour drive from Hattiesburg. It's two hours from Little Rock, and then it's about an hour and 15 from Memphis. Uh, in terms of their student uh, breakdown, in terms of in-state, out-of-state, it's about 75% uh, in-state uh, as the chunk of the enrollment. Uh, then about over half of their in-state enrollment is from that, like we were saying, that Northeast Arkansas, uh, Arkansas Delta area. They do get uh, about 15% of their in-state uh, from that Little Rock, uh, Central Arkansas area. But it is primarily a regional-based uh, enrollment. They do get, uh, in terms of out-of-state Missouri, it is it's real close to that boot hill of, uh, of Missouri. Uh, so Missouri, Tennessee, Mississippi are their top three uh, out-of-state uh, student markets. And then in terms of sports, so they, they've been middle of the pack in football over the last five years. They, they've kind of declined. You had that uh, stretch from 2011 to 2015 where they've won at least a share of the Sunbelt Conference title mm-hmm. uh, four or five years. Um, so that they have Butch Jones there now. He's kind of rebuilding it, I guess. Um, Blake Anderson left last year uh, yep. to go to Utah State. Uh, 11 total meetings all time against USM in football. USM's 9-2 and two of those games. I think the last meeting would have been in 2008. Uh, we went up to Jonesboro and uh, Fedora's first year and beat them uh, by three. Um, and then you had that uh, 2005 New Orleans Bowl in Lafayette where USM won 31-19. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, they had that stretch where they went through Freeze. Freeze was there a year, left. Malzahn was there a year, and then he left. And Brian Harson, who's now in Auburn, he was a year and then, or there a year, and then he left. And then they had Anderson there to provide some stability. Uh, in terms of basketball, uh, they, they're 12th, the 14th, and the four-year average in Ken Palm. So they're, they haven't been great in basketball. And then baseball is kind of the lower middle class. Uh, they have Tommy Raffo as the head coach there. He was a kind of a Ron Polk disciple. Uh, you know, they haven't had a ton of success uh, in baseball. And then famous alums, uh, Demario Davis, uh, the great Saints linebacker, and then Roger Bumpus, the voice of Squidward yeah. off SpongeBob. I did not realize that. <laughs> he went to Arkansas State. That's a great one. So, um, and they will be in the West Division, obviously, with USM. So that'll mm-hmm. be a team we play every year in football, uh, every year in baseball. Then uh, most years in basketball, we'll play them twice. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, Arkansas State, what are your thoughts on them? Well, first of all, I want you to know that Patrick just rattled that off all off the top of his head. Um, no, <laughs> no, uh, we have. We're looking at a yeah, Google Docs. <laughs> we've got our we've got our notes. Open. Um, yeah, I don't know. First thing I would say about Arkansas State, I think that that's a great example of. Not that, not that there are not these in Conference USA, but I think it's an example of um, an administration that has a very clear forward path um, and, and is is well interconnected, uh, if that's a term that exists, as far as academically, athletically, just kind of a cohesive administrative um, identity for athletics. That has, I mean, I think you point to the football hires that they've made. A lot of people use them as the example of, you know, especially in that 2011 to 2015 run of, um, and even before that of, you know, the just the names that they have hired and that have gone on to be so good in uh, in the head coaching space. You mentioned about Freeze Malzahn, uh, Brian Harson, and then Blake Anderson. I mean. Um, in his first year at Utah State, I mean, they, they are winning their division in the Mountain West, have a great chance to win the Mountain West or compete for a championship at least. Um, I think they're 8-2, and two, have won five straight, something like that, and it's kind of immediately turned them around. And so I think that points to, um, yeah, just a uh, uh, pretty high-quality administration um, that is is proactive. And I think, 
I, I think there's more of that in the Sun Belt. Um, just, just to me, from just you know, from top to bottom. Uh, and it, yeah, it just um, it's another one of these schools that you just have a lot in common with. I mean, enrollment wise, and uh, you know, you mentioned. Um, wow, I just I wanted to say Jonestown, not Jonestown. I don't think Jim Jones has any connection <laughs> to, uh, to Arkansas State. I don't think oh, I hope not. I, yeah, I, I really hope not. Um, yeah, Jonesboro. Uh, you know, I've spent some. I spent a little bit of time in, in Jonesboro, and um, yeah, I, you know, uh, pretty comparable, like you said, to Hattiesburg in some ways, and just another, uh, you know, a brick in the wall of this um, making a lot of sense for Southern Miss, and um, I think, you know, um, a team that you're gonna enjoy playing every year, and. Um, Pretty, I'd say you know maybe maybe not quite as much as you know we talked about Appalachian State last week. Maybe not quite as um, uh, significant or healthy of a fan base. Like you know, I don't think they're going to bring. Uh, no, they're actually pretty low. I was looking yeah. that they're actually last in the Sun Belt attendance, which is really surprising. Yeah. I think, but you know, if they get it back going, sure, I think that's sure. going to shoot up. But yeah, right now. Uh, they haven't been drawn really well this year. So. No, and it, and I mean they're they certainly have the a foundation of of passionate fans. I think most of the members of the Sun Belt do have that, um, whereas a lot of those Conference USA programs don't. Um, Second in the conference in contributions in terms of yeah, uh, there you go, so. yeah, there you go. That's that's a a great picture of that. Even even in a you know a downslide of. Uh, success on the field um yeah that's that's still pretty impressive and so yeah i don't know i'm kind of talking in circles but I, again i i think it's uh just another member that makes a lot of sense not too far of a drive it's another road trip that you mm-hmm. can make um for a saturday game or whatever it may be um so I, I think that's uh i think a lot of people don't really think about arkansas state as oh it's i'm really excited to be in a conference with arkansas state but i think um, I think it's another school with a, a, a high ceiling relative to a lot of your former conference mates and um, one that you will learn to enjoy competing with in the Sun Belt. Yeah, I mean, we've seen them do it this decade. Exactly. So yes. y- we know they can get back to, you know, competing for conference championships again. Yeah. So. yeah. Yep, and that's, uh, I mean, that's a, that's a great region uh, for high school baseball. I mean, even just Arkansas in general. Um, and so you could say the ceiling for baseball is, is higher, um, at least from where they uh, have competed. Um, you know, maybe they make the jump out of that lower middle class in the future. Um, that's not, you know, a dead-in-the-water baseball program by any means. I think just by nature of being mostly in the southeast, a lot of these schools have a, a higher potential from what they've shown. So, yeah, um, that is division mate number one. Yes. Yeah, and I, next week we will uh, – Coastal Carolina, I think, mm-hmm. is next in the alphabet, so that's another kind of fun school. Yep. So. so we'll get back to the east. Back to Conference USA while we are still here. <laughs> we want to talk about the week Yeah, slate. if I can pull it up. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so our game on Friday night, and then FAU Western Kentucky. Uh, it's all shaping up in that east division for Western Kentucky and Marshall mm-hmm. next week to decide that uh, division. So that is um, – but FAU, they actually lost last week at uh, Old Dominion. Kind of a little bit of an upset there. Um, but, yeah, WKU really rolling offensively. 
uh, that Houston Baptist strategy that we've talked about you mm-hmm. know, has really paid off for him. Um, and then the game of the week, I would say, UAB, UTSA, very likely going to decide the West Division champion, uh, provided UAB doesn't lose um, next week at home against UTEP. So UAB, UTSA, I kind of think UAB is going to win that. For, I'm gonna I really feel like that, too. I was thinking about that the other day. Um, Not that UTSA is overrated. I think I think UAB is just a little undersold. I, yeah. I think they're a pretty complete club. Yeah, and they're kind of like they just they get it done. We've seen them get yeah, it yeah. done over the last several years uh, with that coaching staff. We, I mean, UTSA. Who knows? You know, this could this could be their year. We'll um, say it's a big deal that being in San Antonio. Right. Yeah. That that could be end up being the deciding factor. Um, Marshall at Charlotte. Uh, Marshall, I think they have to win that because I think they're a game back at Western Kentucky. So they got to win that to stay in the race uh, for the East. If they win that, that will set up, like we were talking about, uh, that East uh, Division Championship game, um, de facto championship game uh, next week. Um, Old Dominion, MTSU. MTSU, 5-5, uh, five and five, looking like they're going to do the standard 6-6 six and six, uh, with stock still. Uh, but hopefully Old Dominion can win that. I've been rooting for Old Dominion just because they're a uh, Sunbelt team. Uh, and they, I mean, they're four and six. They were near the bottom in most of the preseason. I mean, I guess they since they didn't play last year that, you know, they were going to be just based on they have no production, returning production because they didn't play last right, year. Right, but right, um, right. it's been good to see uh, just for the future yeah. health of the Sun One, Belt. three in a row. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, just for the future health of the Sun Belt. But uh, Rice at uh, UTEP. UTEP has been falling back. Uh, they lost to um, North Texas. North Texas. Um, well, I guess we'll talk about them in the next uh, game. But, yeah, UTEP 6-4. and four, uh, They're still bowl eligible, so hopefully they can get to that New Mexico Bowl uh, in about a month. Uh, and then North Texas at FIU, um, I guess North Texas, they should win that to get to 5-6. and six, And then they have UTSA the last um, week of the year, next week. So they're still alive for a bowl. And then, you know, FIU is kind of all falling apart there. Butch Davis coming out and just uh, – yep railing against the administration so it's it's bad situation fiu so yeah and we of course we play them next week so hopefully uh could be the battle for win number two yeah it's kind of reminiscent of that 2013 game when both teams came in winless and Mm -hmm. they you know beat us after they blocked that field goal so um but hopefully we come out on the right side this year uh against fiu yeah we'll obviously obviously talk about that but um and we can we can talk about the whole butch davis situation uh next week when we go through that preview but um there's a fair chance that Butch Davis is not on the sideline for that. Just, just the way that that whole situation is moved. If you don't, um, if you don't know what we're talking about, you can. Um, I don't know. It's it's all over Twitter and Stadium. Brett McMurphy yeah. had an article. Yeah, Brett McMurphy. Um, or not on uh, Action Network. Sorry, he used to be with Stadium. Right. Uh, outlined that pretty well, and it's it is a mess. Um, pretty much across the board, it sounds like just in athletics, um, athletic director. Just step down, which they call their athletic director position something really weird. Uh, oh, like it may, it may director be director of sports and entertainment or something oh. like that. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's just yeah. FAU is a strange place. Yeah. And, um, man, great example of high quality ads for Conference USA, and uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll, we will see them next week. Uh, Bobby Collins passed away this week. Yeah, we, we like wanted we need to... to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah, we want to talk about that just because, you know, he was late 70s, early 80s. He was kind of the guy that got USM uh, kind of on the national map culminating mm-hmm. in that 1981 season where you win nine games, yep. beat Florida State, you beat Mississippi State, you tie Alabama, uh, and then you play in that Tangerine Bowl against uh, Missouri. So he was kind of the guy that really catapulted 
uh, the football program to the next level. And, uh, yeah, I just want to say rest in peace. You know? Yeah, certainly will, will be missed. He was um, – yeah, he, he kind of started, uh, like you were saying, he started the – you kind of find a diamond in the rough guys that are overlooked by the big programs that, that end up being um, just great, great players. And a lot of those guys you see on the Eagle Walk, um, Bobby Collins was, was the reason they made it to Southern Miss um, and kind of set the foundation for uh, the success of, of Southern Miss football in the last 30 years. So definitely tough loss for the Southern Miss community. Uh, so, again, yeah, rest in peace. Anything else we need to talk about, Patrick? I, I think we kind of wrapped it up. Yeah, uh, what was that number that catcher we signed? Or we we had a twenty twenty five different. Uh, yeah, I mean you had Sonny Day, but there was a twenty twenty five uh, catcher from South uh, Jones, yet, uh, which is a high school freshman. Yeah, I mean, that's the you, thing about baseball recruiting is it is done really early. Yes. Um. It. Uh, let's see. It was Dylan Causey. Dylan Causey. Mm-hmm. Uh, was his is his name out of South Jones, right? Yes, he's top ten player uh, in the, according to Baseball Report for the state of Mississippi in twenty twenty five. I don't know how they uh, grade out uh, high school freshmen, but they got somebody on there, and they say he's a top ten player in Mississippi for that twenty twenty five class. So it looks like a good get. So uh, yeah, I just kind of thought that was interesting. <laughs> yeah, on it early. Um, twenty twenty six uh, opening day catcher. So that's right. Yeah, they they want him to be the guy. Um, uh, and we will, I don't know, we, we can kind of, we'll run through some of the baseball signing day. Uh, we're over an hour, so we'll, we'll yeah. leave that for next week. Uh, we'll do that next week. Uh, just a couple of housekeeping things. Um, I'm going to start releasing the episode Thursday morning because just, I don't know, we, we start recording at 7.30 and by the time we finish recording and then I edit, it's usually... <laughs> usually like 11 o'clock when we uh, actually release the episode. So I feel like that's maybe um, a little counterproductive and not a lot of people are going to be listening to buzzardry at 11 o'clock, but shout out to you if you are. Uh, thanks for listening that late. Um, but so that will start coming out in the mornings of uh, on Thursdays. And uh, I had one more thing I was going to talk about. Um, I forget what it was. Um, leave a review. Uh, that that greatly helps us. For Patrick McGee, my name has been Mile. This has been another episode of Buzzardry. Thanks for being with us. And I hope to have you with us next week. This has been Buzzardry. Thanks for listening. And be sure to share and leave a review. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Pod for all you need to know about the show. See you next time.